0: Well, greetings everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast, officially sponsored by Running Aces Casino and Racetrack. I'm your host, Steve Fredland. and as uh, this is being released, I am actually out in Las Vegas at the World Series of Poker. Uh, I have recorded this ahead of time, so I'm not distracted from my play, so I have no idea how I'm doing when this is being released. Hopefully uh, I'll have some great stories when I get back about uh, some success and some positive variants, some things that went my way, as well as some interesting hands that we can dissect and maybe had a chance to meet a few really cool people out there. So hopefully I'm enjoying my time as well as the rest of you who are able to go out there for this summer. Today we have a special treat. Uh, Dr. Tricia Cardner joins us. Dr. Cardner is a uh, specialist in poker psychology and reaching your peak performance. She's somebody who's contributed to the show quite a bit in the past, uh, briefly, uh, so I'm excited to actually sit down with her for an extended interview and share that with you. Uh, She has tremendous insights into a facet of the game that is often, I guess, kind of neglected by us recreational players, that idea of how do we get in the right mindset, how do we Uh, How do we uh, maximize our performance based on our preparedness and our mental state? Uh, So I think uh, you're going to enjoy this conversation with Dr. Cardner. Uh, We'll take a a minute here to hear from our sponsor, and then we'll come back with that interview. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack has the best poker room in Minnesota, featuring 24-7 promos on all cash poker games, including earning $2 per hour in comps, plus the most player-friendly tourney structures. Visit RunAces.com for daily promotions and the tournament calendar. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack, the official sponsor of Rec Poker. Well, everybody, as promised, I am here with Dr. Tricia Cardner. Uh, Tricia, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thanks so much for having me on. I'm really looking forward to talking with you about all things poker and psychology.
0: Oh, all things. That's that's a daunting (laughs) episode.
1: (laughs) Nothing like setting the bar high, right, in order to attain...
0: well, you have set the bar high already because every time you've contributed to the podcast, people are like, oh man, that was so good. That was so helpful. So thanks for everything you've already done for us.
1: Awesome. And I'm looking forward to maybe people sending in some more mindset focused questions because that's really my wheelhouse. Even though, yes, I do play poker and I have played poker for a long, long time, but I feel like there are other people who can give you the lowdown on ICM or, you know, PIO solver, things like that. And right. my wheelhouse is more the mindset, psychology, uh, peak performance in particular. But that's where I think I can really give people some
0: good advice. And talk a little bit about that. So how, I mean, you're, you're this poker player and you're the psychologist and you kind of the, <laughs> the best of both worlds, but how did you actually get into poker? how did you get into psychology? And then how did those things sort of come together?
1: Oh, such a long and winding road. I actually was quite taken with psychology long before I even knew what poker was. So when I was growing up, I was always sort of the person that people came to to get advice. And so I think like many people, I kind of thought that's what psychology was, is, you know, you're giving advice. And yes, I do give a fair amount of advice just because I'm answering questions. But if I were seeing someone as a psychotherapist, you know, then I wouldn't be giving advice. That'd be completely wrong. I've learned that through my studies. But even, you know, back in the day, me and my best friend, we were the dear Abby of our school newspaper. So I have a long history with psychology.
0: Did you actually write articles and such?
1: Well, people would leave us questions, you know, so we had a, a drop box and people would leave questions and then we would select for the weekly newspaper. And it would be like, you know, dear Abby, you know, I don't know, Jim Bob pulls my pigtails. What does it mean? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just making up
0: stuff. <laughs> Jim Bob. It's always a Jim Bob.
1: <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, and then we would, you know, come up with some worthy pithy advice, just like, you know, we were the dear Abby's as it were. But uh, eventually I ended up taking a psychology course in high school. And then I was like, oh yeah, this is totally my jam. And, you know, I was one of those people that from the day I enrolled in college, I was like, I'm a psychology major. I'm going to grad school. I will get a PhD. And that's just it. And so I think that's fairly unusual, Mm -hmm. but that was my jam. So then you have to fast forward to the poker. I already had a doctorate in criminology And then I was working on another doctorate in psychology. And that's when I got on the poker train. So I was invited to a home game. And it was just something for me to do because at the time I was. And I don't want to offend any of your listeners, but I was stuck. I was captured, if you will, in Cheyenne, Wyoming because my husband was in the military. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Yeah. And we got stationed there. And I'd never been anywhere like that before. And people say, oh, it must have been beautiful. And I'm like, no, we were not in Jackson Hole. We were in Cheyenne.
0: (laughs) Well, where are you from? Where are you from originally?
1: I'm kind of from all over, but I'm definitely grown, grew up in the South. So, and I spent most of my childhood in South
0: Texas. So So Cheyenne just felt like it was just too remote or. I mean,
1: it's remote. It's really cold. Uh, So when I moved there, it was June, like end of May, very beginning of June. And it was snowing as I rolled into town and I grew up and spent most of my time you know, in South Texas. And I had a very impressive collection of, you know, capri pants and flip flops.
0: (laughs) So it wasn't good for your wardrobe.
1: It was not. And, and I was like, oh my gosh, it's really cold. And, you know, it's kind of sparse and there's not that much going on, but luckily they were having a poker game because this was, you know, post boom, but you know, not too far out of the boom. Right. So it was like, 2006, 2007, something like that. And everybody thought, you know, they were the still homiest of the world. But I go to this game and it was almost a weird hybrid cash tournament situation because everybody bought in and then you got a certain number of chips, but then you bet in like cash increments, you know, like, Oh, I bet a dollar. I know it was really weird. But mm. then at the end of the night, they would count up the chips and then they would be like, Oh, you have the most. So you get first place money. Like they had no idea what oh, they were doing. Okay. Yeah. This was just foolishness, sure. but I recognized immediately. Okay. This is a game with statistics and psychology and, you know, the people aspect. And I was like, I can't just let these boys get one over on me because obviously I was the only girl in the, in the games. And uh, I was like, I need to study this and and really, you know, get to learning this game. I knew immediately, you know, it wasn't so far off from say like chess or something like that, that you could really put your heart and soul into and, you know, learn the game and then do well. So that's what I did.
0: So you were already, you, you were already sort of into playing games into sort of the strategy games like chess and that sort of thing. And then this just was a, a nice combination of that plus the the psychological piece of it.
1: Well, you're sweet. I knew what you know. I knew what chess was, and I knew how people went about it. I certainly never played uh, chess. That was okay. far too cerebral. Um,
0: but you, you were a, you were a game player growing up.
1: I mean, I think a game player in terms of just figuring out people way more so than you know. I know a lot of people are gamers, right? They're like, oh, I'm you know Magic the Gathering, right? Or, World of Warcraft or something. No, I never did anything like that. Okay. I was always more like figuring figuring people out is more my game, you know? Yeah. So I guess I like games, but maybe not in the traditional sense until I got a hold of poker. And then it was like, you can play this game, get good at it, and make some cash possibly. Sign me up.
0: <laughs> well, it, it's interesting because I think there's a number of us, well, myself for sure, that I just started playing you know, maybe seven or eight years ago. And I'm a, mathem- a mathematician by, by trade. And so I approached the game from a very logical, rational perspective, you know, EV, all mm-hmm. of those things. And then what I had to learn as I got into the game was, oh, there's this whole psychological element where, you know, part of it is the, is the mathematics, but a big part of it is knowing how to read people and knowing, you know, what they might be thinking in situations mm-hmm. and are they risk averse and all of those things versus you're coming into it really approaching it from psychology first.
1: Sort of, uh, because I would say, and I don't want anybody to think uh, that when you're into psychology, you're not into math, because when you go to graduate school, the bulk of your education is spent on statistics. So it's not, you know, I guess math in the sense, you know, that a mathematician studies, but, you know, I even studied nonlinear curve based statistical analysis, my professor, uh, had been a statistician for NASA. So he was like, I don't care if you're in the social sciences, you're going to learn, you know, the big, the big stuff. So, so it, would it, you
0: say then with that, that, that there was a certain way that a certain posture you took toward poker, was it more psych- psychology or was it more math or is it just too hard to sort of separate I mean, those two things? Gosh,
1: It's really hard to parse them out. Yeah. I say for anybody who's learning the game, math is, your basis. You are going to do very poorly if you do not master the mathematical side of it. That's what I think. So I'm more on the math logic side, but if you take all of the psychology and add it to your math, then I think you will be unstoppable.
0: Yeah, that that's what I can't wait to get into. So let's let's, let's shift a little bit into that. So well, anyway, back, well I should back up a little bit to your background. Okay, so you're you're stuck in <laughs> Cheyenne. You're playing a little bit of poker with the folks that are there. You're the only gal in the game, which I do want to talk a little bit about mm-hmm. that. You know, you know that that whole dynamic of why it's mostly men that play poker. But then, kind of what what happened from there? You're playing this little home game, and then how did you get involved playing some bigger things?
1: Well, I had it in my mind that what I should do, and I'll keep in mind, I played in the home game just a few times, but I've always been the kind of person that thinks big. And when I set my mind on something, you know, I do it. So it's kind of, when I was a teenager, I would tell people, oh, I'm going to get a PhD. And who talks like that as a teenager, right?
0: right.
1: <laughs> I don't know, I'm a little weird. But I had it in my mind that what I should do is I should take a trip to Las Vegas and I should go play poker, wait for it, at Binion's. And the reason why, yeah, is because that's where the World Series sure. originated, right? And I was like, all I need is to go to this place, the Mecca, right? And and I, sh- you know, will breathe the air that you know, right? The all greats- the greats
0: have breathed before me,
1: right? And I will sit in the chair and I will play with the filthy chips that you know they,
0: <laughs> type. and I'll smoke my cigars and
1: right. I should do it so. I said to my husband, hey, let's let's go do this. And he was like, Yeah, let's do it. Sweet. And he grew up in Vegas, most of his formative oh, okay. years. He actually graduated high school from Silverado High out in Henderson. So if our listeners are familiar with that. Yeah. And uh so he said, Yeah, let's do it. So we went to, you know, and they were doing a Saturday tournament and it was a couple hundred dollar buy-in. And you know, remember, this is much more of the heyday, you know, this was like I said, you know, 07, uh, 06, 07, that kind of time frame And there were, you know, a couple hundred people there at this like $200 buy-in tournament. And we both, you know, buy in. And of course we're, well, I don't know what he was doing. He busted in like the first 30 minutes. Um, but me, I was, you know, playing way, way too nitty, but by God, I, I wasn't going to get, you know, busted out of this tournament. And then I ended up cashing in it, which was very nice and if memory serves me there weren't very many women in the field but I was the last woman mm-hmm. standing. And oh that made me excited, right? Yeah. So I was like, "Oh goodness, I need to really, you know, devote myself to this."
0: And so that that's what got you hooked then. So so early success in in some sense.
1: I mean, I guess uh, I think I would have still been hooked even if I hadn't yeah. had I mean, it wasn't like I made a million dollars. Okay. This was like sure. a 200 in, right, no. and I finished in like, a, you know, I don't know, 13th, 14th place, something like that. I just don't want your listeners to think, <laughs> oh, she, you know, ran good and, you know, won a million dollars. No, I made, I don't know, a couple hundred bucks or something.
0: But it certainly know. doesn't hurt to have a little success and say, well, maybe, you know, th- this is fun. And, you know, maybe mm-hmm. I, I do have a chance at, at being successful here
1: but I will say, I guess I probably share this with many of the people who are listening in that, you know, I've had my ups and downs, you know, poker is a long term proposition. And, you know, when you're running good, and you're playing well, and everything's coming together, you're on top of the world. And then when you think you're still playing well, maybe you are, maybe you're not, that's debatable, and you're not running good. And, you know, and of course, with tournament poker in particular, you can have these long, you mm-hmm. know, down swings. then you have to really be able to manage that frustration because if you can't, then how are you going to, you know, break through to the other side, which is where, you know, like they always talk about your infinite potential exists on the other side of your comfort zone. And it's kind of like that too, what I'm talking about, you know, you have to really stick with it and keep at it and work, even if you're not winning and doing well.
0: Right. And so I think there's this, this general construct of saying, okay, here's our, our optimal way that we play that game. And then there's the, the psychological pieces that can kind of get in the way of that and be roadblocks to that. And you kind of touched on one of those. I think, you know, if we're having a, a, a longer stretch of negative variance than what, you know, statistically we think we should, mm-hmm. you know, how does, how does that sort of in the macro we'll get down to the micro also, but in terms of the macro approaching a tournament coming into play, when you've been running bad, you know, quote unquote, or had negative variants, how does the psychology fit into that that can cause us to play suboptimally that if we can identify it, maybe we can overcome those, those issues.
1: That's really tricky because each person has their own set of, you know, sort of internal variables, motivations, you know, things like that. Right. And different people have a different, I guess, tolerance for frustration. But what I think is if you want to be serious about this game and be in it for the long haul, you really have to first come up with what is your purpose? What is the reason that you're doing this? And of course, most people are like to make money, but I would suggest that that is not a good purpose because money is not a very good motivator. Plenty of studies show that it's better to have a purpose that's kind of overriding you know, the money. Yes, the money's nice, but maybe I'm doing this because I want to have financial independence. You know, I see this as a way of getting out of, you know, the cubicle farm. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Which, yes, that's still money, but it's a little bit different. Or perhaps I want to have the money so that I can contribute to causes that are important to me. That's what I'd really like to do. Or I'd really, you know, like to buy my mother a house, or I want to pay off those darn student loans. You know, I don't know these are still sort of money related, but they, right. they have more of a broader, you know, sense of why I'm doing this because then I can always look to my purpose and and think to myself, well, is what I'm about to do in line with my purpose?
0: Right. So it feels like sort of asking that the five whys, you know, well, I want to make mm-hmm. more money. Well, why? Mm-hmm. You know, and you kind of keep keep digging until you actually get to that ultimate purpose, which is what you're, you're really motivated by. Mm-hmm. Does that I can see why that would be valuable. And I do agree with that completely that you want a deeper purpose. Do you feel like that almost puts more pressure on then if, you know, if my goal is just to make money and I'm in a stretch of negative variance, well, that means I didn't make money or I lost money. If my purpose is, you know, I want to have transformational impact in the world by giving the causes that I believe in and I'm going <laughs> in a stretch of negative variance. It almost feels like that would, um, you know, exacerbate the pain.
1: See, I feel like when you have something that is bigger than yourself, you can put your focus towards that. When it's all about you, then you get subsumed with, you know, the run bad. When it's something bigger than you, you can say, I'm going to keep working at it because Mm. it's something bigger than me that I'm trying to go towards. If it's just me, oh, well, you know, I can get frustrated and I can just give up and quit.
0: Oh, that's really good. So, okay, so in terms of how this would play into, you know, boy, it's been two months since I've cashed or, you know, whatever the timeframe is, you know, saying, yeah, but I've got to stick with it because, you know, there's more on the line than
1: just
0: money. Okay.
1: If you want to succeed in any endeavor, you're going to have to be willing to put up with a lot of negativity, failure, loss. You show me anyone who's a huge success in any endeavor. And I'll show you, hey, this is a person who's made mistakes. They've lost you know, they've run bad, you know, they've gotten fired. I'm thinking Steve Jobs right now, you Mm -hmm. know, who at one point was uh, canned (laughs) from Apple, right? I mean, you look at anybody who has any measure of success. And the reason why we think that, oh, you know, it's so easy for them and they're so successful is because we only see the end product. We don't see the work that went into it.
0: Right. Yeah. You don't see the work that went into it. And it's very easy for people to kind of judge things and say, oh, you know, make, make whatever conclusion they can make from that either negative or positive. And mm-hmm. I think, I mean, it's, it's so true. You got the Steve jobs of the world, but even I'm sure in your day-to-day work and even like the rec poker podcast, which is whatever, it, it's a blip on the radar of everything. You know, I mean, every week I've get, you know, I get positive and negative feedback, mm-hmm. you know, on things and, and you have to sort of choose, no, I'm going to go forward with what I believe in. So I think that's a, that is a huge thing. And I think any element of success is going to have that And I think that can be what the differentiator is between people that are able to accomplish things and people that end up having to quit.
1: There's something I read in a book and the author talked about, you know, no pressure, no diamond, right? Mm. So like, if you want to have a diamond, it has to, you know, go through these, I don't know how many thousands of years of, you know, whatever pressure, because I'm not a gemologist, but just kind of the analogy really spoke to me like it's this, I don't know. I'm going to butcher this. So anybody who's a gemologist, I'll just apologize now. But you know, you have like this dirty old rock and then through uh, some long drawn out, torturous, pressurous process, it ends up becoming a diamond, right? It's kind of the same thing with us. We're going to go through some long process in order to either, you know, realize our fullest potential or more often than not, people don't realize their fullest potential because they give up because they want to be comfortable. And as I had said a little bit before, you know, if you want to achieve great things, you have to go beyond your comfort zone. It's on the other side of your comfort zone. So if you're not willing to put up with the negative frustration, you know, pressure, bad experiences, you will never attain peak performance. It just doesn't happen.
0: That's really good. So in terms of the macro approach, just recognize if you're going to go after something big, like becoming a, a world-class poker player or, you know, a, a very a, a very successful poker player, you're going to have the pressure. You're going to have the negative variance. You're going to have the things that are, that are going to confuse you. They're going to confound you. But that's all part of that pressure of making the diamond. And we have to accept that as part of the journey.
1: Exactly. And what I think is a lot of people want something to be really easy. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. If it did, you know, more people would master more things, but they don't.
0: If it was as easy as just going to Binion's and breathing in the air and (laughs) smoking the cigars, then we'd all be world-class poker players. But it's a little harder than that.
1: I wish it was that easy. (laughs) Um, You know, but I still, this summer will be my 11th World Series that I've attended and, you know, played at. And I still... You know, when I walk into the convention part of the RIA where the World Series plays and you see all the banners and everything, yeah. it still makes my heart race just a little bit faster, right? I don't know if it's like that for you or if you've gone, but
0: Yeah. Last year was the first time I went and went out there with four guys. We actually drove out there from Minnesota. It was a twenty-seven hour drive, which we will I not see. be which we will not be repeating. It was it was fun, but <laughs> we're gonna fly out there. So this year will be the second year. But yeah, it is it is an overwhelming sort of feeling. So it'll be interesting to see the second time if it's still mm-hmm. that that buzz that people keep talking about. But I, I fully t- expect it to to be like that.
1: I think it if your heart is in it, it's just so exciting. And poker is one of the few endeavors where you can be on a table with someone who you really admire, you know, mm-hmm. just by luck of the draw. I mean, I've been on tables with really big name players and I'm like, I could never do this and any, anything else. Right, right. right. You're, you're not going to play I golf with
0: Tiger Woods. You're not going to no. shoot hoops with LeBron James. <laughs>
1: exactly. Uh, or Steph Curry.
0: Right. There, uh, better better <laughs> yet. Yeah, I like, I like stuff better. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, poker's so neat. And then you go to the series and all these people that you've seen or you've read about or you've watched their videos or whatever, there they are. And yeah. And you're just like, wow, I could sit down and I can play with these people. And maybe even beat the hell out of them on occasion. Right.
0: yeah, exactly. That's what keeps us coming back, right? It's I'm never gonna beat Steph Curry in a three-point shooting contest, but hey, I could maybe beat Phil Hillmuth for a day.
1: Let me tell you a little bit of a funny uh, story. I mean, I think it's funny. Hopefully you guys will enjoy it too, but this was a few years ago and I was playing one of the bracelet events, not like a 10,000, but it would have been somewhere between 1000 and 2000, I can't remember exactly which event, but that was the buy-in. And we had an empty seat at our table, right? And so we're playing along and it's all fun and games and it's mostly recreational types. And so, you know, it's, it's a low stress situation. Right. And then guess who comes rolling up to the table?
0: Did Phil come fashionably late?
1: It was not Phil, but it was someone who would strike more terror into people's hearts if they knew who he was. Phil Ivy. That would be a good one too. It was Brian Rast.
0: Oh, is that right? Oh, jeez. Yeah.
1: So Brian yeah. Rast comes rolling up to the table, and I'm pretty sure I'm the only one who knew who he was.
0: Okay. This was a few years ago. Yeah.
1: And in my mind, I was like, oh, hell no.
0: He's <laughs> the right in your left.
1: He was to my right.
0: Okay. That's at least a good which, start.
1: Which was a good start. Um, but in my mind, I was like, no way. If right. He gets chips, this is going to be a nightmare. I have to do everything in my power to get rid of him. And um, I'm happy to report that I did bust him. (laughs) And then when he got up and he left the table, you know, when he was away from the table, I said to my table mates, you guys should open your wallets right now and right. I'll hand me some money because <laughs> <have> no idea, <laughs> like I really just helped you in this situation.
0: Well, that's fantastic. So talk a little bit about the, I mean, in a sense, the psychology of that, because, you know, if something <laughs> like that happens, a big name sits down at our local tournament or a big tournament or whatever it is. And we have this sort of sense of, of awe and wonder and oh crap. Um, and, and it, it does change the dynamics of how you want to play. I think there are some strategy things that do change, but how do we overcome that mental piece of it? Because I think we all have that. We all have either those people that you know, are our nemesis that continue to beat us or the person that just won the MSPT <laughs> or the HPT sits down with us. And we immediately, I think, have this tendency to maybe start playing suboptimally simply out of fear.
1: I think you're correct on that. So I think first you need to understand that this is a situation where you can beat anyone at any time. It's not like the me going against Steph Curry in the three point contest. I'm mm-hmm. never right going to win, right. but I can bust Brian Rast. I can. And I did. Uh, but I had another situation where I was in between Habad Khan and the grinder. hmm. So, I mean, smack in the middle. Now yeah. that's kind of a bad day. Right. You have to really recognize that you do have a shot against these guys and gals because there are some really good female players too. Yeah. So do not count those gals out. But what you have to do is you have to keep your wits about you. You are not going to beat them by playing scared and nitty and, you know, waiting for the aces, I guess. You, you're going to have to play your best poker, dig and go and go after them. But my modus operandi is always what I said when Brian Rass came. Oh hell no, <clears throat> this is my table. This is, you are not coming to mess this situation up for me. I'm going to get rid of you if at all possible. And then I just go. I, I make it my mission. Now I don't do it in a way. I don't want people to think. Oh, you just go crazy, right? right? <laughs> Three bet them every time they win right, exactly. a hand. <laughs> you, you you know you play your best poker but having said that, you know, don't, don't quiver in fear and be like, oh, I fold, you know? Sure.
0: So at the core, I mean, are we sort of talking about the whole amygdala thing here, the fight or flight? And I mean, are you, Oh,
1: you know, I love that amygdala.
0: <laughs> I mean, are you sort of intention? Are you sort of, you know, your guidance here is sort of intentionally saying, don't allow the the flight piece of that to, to hijack your amygdala, you know, oh, uh, mm-hmm. you know, get into that mode of I'm going to fight mm-hmm. and I'm going to fight even harder than I maybe would have otherwise.
1: Yeah. I think if someone comes to the table and you notice yourself, maybe your heart is racing or maybe you just notice, hey, I'm getting a little fearful, that is a sign to you that your amygdala has kicked in. And the best thing that you can do is take some deep breaths. That signals to your brain that everything is safe and okay. So you really want to use diaphragmatic breathing, which is where most of the time we, when we get stressed, We breathe very shallowly and we don't want that. We want it to go really deep into our lungs. In order to make this happen in a real easy fashion, you can just do breathing in a six to seven pattern. So you breathe in through your nose and that's really important because if you breathe in through your mouth, you actually heighten your anxiety, which you don't want to do. So you breathe in through your nose and count for a slow count of six hold for two counts and then blow out could be through your nose or through your mouth on the exhalation for a count of seven so that's six two seven and if you do four of those that's going to give you you know a full minute's breathing but that will help you to tame your amygdala and that will hopefully help you get engaged on what you need to do instead of just freaking out
0: that is super interesting so what what's actually happening in that case it's just somehow sending a signal to That it's going to be okay to the amygdala.
1: Well, the way the brain operates is when something happens that is you know alarming, a fear, right? And keep in mind that we evolved over a long period of time. How long is debatable, but. So the brain has like old operating system over new operating system. That's sort of how it works. So the amygdala you're talking about, that's the limbic system. It's, it's not the most ancient part, but it's pretty darn old. Mm-hmm. So back in the day, if you were out on the savanna and there was a saber tooth tiger, your amygdala, which is in the limbic system would, you know, trigger and you'd run like hell. So, right? so
0: let's use elephants because I've been chased by elephants in Rwanda. So let's use that.
1: Well, when an elephant comes charging yes. at you, I'm pretty darn sure that your amygdala lights <laughs> yes. up. It does. You don't, you don't stop and think like, gosh, I wonder if I should run away. Right. I wonder what I should do. No, you just go, right? Well, the amygdala and the brain the limbic system, it doesn't make any, there's no distinguishing for it between the elephant charging you and Phil Ivey coming to your table, right? A threat is a threat is a threat. And so it reacts in the same sort of way. Now you have obviously been somewhere where you could have been charged by wild animals If you'll notice like say the gazelle is out Grazing and then here comes the lion and you know it sneaks up on the gazelle and mm-hmm. all of a sudden the gazelle is like Whoa, that's a lion, right? The amygdala kicks in and it's off and running And now let's assume it gets away from the said lion What does it start doing? It gets away. It goes back to eating, right? It's calm, Mm -hmm. cool, and collected. It doesn't, as it's eating, go, oh, my God, I hope the lion (laughs) is not coming back. I can't believe I got away. It was Mm -hmm. what a near miss. But how do our brains work as humans? Right. The threat comes, here's Phil Ivy, or fill in the blank for whoever you would think is threatening. Sure. And you're like, oh, my God, that's Phil Ivy. I hope I don't make a jackass out of myself. Uh, I hope I don't do anything stupid. What if, oh, he can read every hand that I have. He knows what I have. He's a soul reader, you know. (laughs) We're amping ourselves up. But it's similar to the gazelle, right? How does the amygdala in the gazelle know that it is time to go back to just grazing? Well, because the breath comes down, the heart rate comes down, blah, blah, blah. Our amygdala works the same way. The, The brain takes the message by the signals, the physiology it receives. So we're kind of tricking it by doing that slow breathing I just told you about. So you can't be breathing slowly and calmly while freaking out. The brain doesn't do the two things at the same time. The brain is very much a unitasker. Everybody wants to think they're multitaskers. That's not true. The brain doesn't really work that way. It's one thing at at a time.
0: That's oh, really good. So, so we have those sort of instantaneous moments where you know we can use that technique to help us calm down. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that the same sort of technique? I mean, let's just say some of us, you know, maybe play the thirty or fifty dollar tournaments, and now we're going to play a two hundred and eighty dollar tournament, or mm-hmm. we play the two hundred and eighty, and now we're going to play a fifteen hundred at the World Series. And there's sort of that that pressure that comes, just feeling like this is something I don't normally do. This is a big situation. Right. Is, is it the same sort of technique where it's not like an, you know, sort of the, it's not an elephant charging situation? It's just a general, I'm in a more risky environment or I'm nervous. What, what would you recommend in those sort of situations to help us reach peak performance?
1: It's the same thing. Okay. So you're telling yourself the story, which is fine because we all have weird, crazy thoughts that we'd rather not have because that is the way the brain works but it's the same sort of situation. If you're sitting down at a table and you're like, oh my gosh, I never played a 1500 before, but here I am playing a 1500 and that's a lot of money. And oh my gosh, I could have made my house payment with that money. I hope I don't screw this up. And what am I thinking? <laughs> like, right. You just, I would suggest to you that yes, do the six to seven breathing. It's very all purpose, but also say, hmm, I just noticed that I'm having these weird thoughts about you know, playing this event, fill in the blank, whatever your weird thoughts are. Isn't that interesting? What you want to do is you want to teach yourself to step back and look at the thoughts, you know, observe them, but not react to them. What you don't want to do is, so you have the thought like 1500 is too big for me to play and I shouldn't have played it. And, you know, the time to have dealt with that was before the event. Right. So let's just say you're in it. Okay. So you don't want to say, you don't want the other side of, uh, of yourself to be like, oh, don't be stupid. Of course you can play the 1500 event. You'll do fine. And then the other side is like, well, we should have taken that money and we could have played, you know, seven, $200. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other side is like, oh, but okay, what is happening? Are you focused on the present? Right. No. No. you're busy arguing with yourself. And we've all done it because it's very much a, a natural process but it's not the best process for peak performance for peak performance the best process is to say i noticed that i'm having these weird thoughts about playing this event isn't that interesting you don't fight it you don't wrestle with it and then you Mm. just let it float away like a cloud in the sky
0: just observe it
1: yes it's just like if i say to you hey steve don't think about the pink elephant Whatever you do, do not think about a pink
0: elephant. Right. That's all I'm thinking about now.
1: Of course. Don't think about the money that you you brought in. Like if you tell yourself, oh, don't worry about the money. Don't think about the money. Don't think about the challenge. You know, whatever you tell yourself, don't think about, then that's all you can think about. And remember, I just said a few minutes ago, the brain is not a good multitasker. So whenever you're dividing your attention like that, there's no possible way you can be... You know, thinking about your ranges, putting your opponents on ranges, paying attention to what's going on at the table, keeping track of the stack sizes, et cetera,
0: et cetera. When you're afraid of the the money or you're you're mm-hmm. second guessing the fact that you should be in the tournament or not. If you're if you
1: paid your money and you sat yeah. at the table, it is the time has passed to yeah. think about that. Think about that before. Like when you're making a plan of what events you want to play. That's when you should be thinking about, you know, what is my bank role and what would be the best things for me to play based off of my bank role and, you know, my level
0: of skill and accomplishment. Right. And well, yeah, what tournaments can I play without knowing I'm going to have this, these sort of second guessing thoughts?
1: But some people second guess themselves almost no matter what. Like they do mm-hmm. have the proper bank role at, just because that's the sort of mind that they have. Some people run at a higher level of, you know, sort of anxiety and stress just naturally. Right.
0: Yeah. It doesn't sure. matter. That's a good point. You,
1: we can still have crazy, unwanted, you know, natty-like thoughts, right? It's like buzzing around like a gnat. We can have those thoughts, and we can still perform at our best. We don't have to let it stop us. It's just that many of us choose to let it stop us.
0: That's good. Well, let's shift gears a little bit. I want to talk uh, – boy, our time is flying. I could talk to you for like eight hours. But <laughs> <laughs> but um, this this idea of, of women in poker, and, you know, we just – still don't see the numbers that I know a lot of people think that we should see. Uh, what, what are, what's your perspective on that?
1: Well, I mean, it's a, like anything, it's a multifaceted topic. I will say though, that there is currently, it just came out a documentary on women in poker called cracking aces and they actually did the filming for it over the last you know, couple of years. And I was interviewed for it pretty extensively and all the, all the ladies of poker, uh, Jan Fisher, Linda Johnson, Maria Ho, you know, pretty much all the ladies that you've probably seen or, or heard of are in this film. And a lot of it does have to do with the fact that women are underrepresented in poker and, you know, the sort of the treatment that occurs when women do show up to the table. Mm-hmm. So if people get a chance, it's showing around at the various film festivals right now. And I just saw a tweet saying that they are attempting to get it shown during the World Series this year, which I hope they do.
0: But Very cool. So so the sort of the end result out of it is not so much about, you know, it's just not a game that women are going to enjoy generally as much as men or skill sets or, you know, psychological elements or a lot of it. Sort of the key takeaway from the movie or from your perspective is more of just just how the the environment in which they're they're being asked to play
1: well, here's the thing. If you look at you know women have a lot of just sort of socialization factors that, on the one hand, probably keep them from playing poker. discourage them, let's just say. But on the other hand, there's a lot of factors that make women really good at the game, yeah. Right. It's kind of an interesting thing. I can remember when I went to my first World Series and I was so tickled because I'd want to see for the ladies event. And I hadn't been playing very long. And so to me, this was, you know, a great way to sort of, you know, at this time, there's no way I would have went into an open event. This was my first World Series and I'd only been playing poker a few months at the time. Um, and just spoiler alert, I did not do well, but that's neither here nor there. But um, what I noticed when I made that trip out was the guys. A lot of them, you know, they travel in packs, and they would have these houses together. Right. And of course, this was pre Black Friday, so online poker, you know, was still the thing. And they were working together and teaching each other and sharing notes and comparing notes. And obviously, when you do that, you know, the whole group improves, right? Mm -hmm. But women didn't really have that opportunity. And, you know, probably still don't. I, I mean, it's a lesser degree now, I guess, but you just don't see that many women, But it's infinitely easier if you do have a pack and you can all come up together. And we know, like, tons of people who come up together, right? Right. And you've probably even experienced that. You know, you've got guy friends and you work together and you have your Skype study groups and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's just a lot different with the women because there's just not very many of us.
0: So it's sort of the cycle. If there were were more of you, there'd be more people to do that with. Right. The the cycle of, you know, once, once the momentum could be there, maybe it would exacerbate the momentum
1: or if you know men were like oh yeah we would uh love to help a girl out and and you know teach a girl have a girl be as part of our crew or whatever
0: right oh interesting okay well yeah so so cracking aces we gotta to look for that
1: do you yeah, say look it's, not, it's on
0: netflix yet or it's not on netflix
1: not yet uh okay. because it's making the rounds through the film yeah. festivals and actually it's been winning awards it just won an award i think a film festival in California for best writing. So.
0: Oh, congratulations.
1: I mean, I wish I could take some credit, which I cannot. I was just, you know, interviewed uh, as part of it, but the uh, people who put it together, I think Linda Johnson and Jan Fisher are the ones who really deserve the credit because they met with, I I think it was kind of a happenstance, you know, just by chance kind of meeting where they met the people, uh, the producer and the director and, you know, said, hey, you should do something about women in poker because, you know, nobody knows that much about women in poker. And these filmmakers were like, hey, we never would have thought of that. That's a great idea. And then Linda and Jan really kind of set everything up and, you know, put them in touch with various women. And it just kind of went from there.
0: Uh, Very cool. Well, let's, uh, let's shift and just kind of tell everybody a little bit about what, what else you're involved with. I know you have the podcast. Let's hear about what you're involved with and how people connect with you and what resources you offer yourself.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a long and distinguished uh, list of things, but I do, (laughs) I do. I can, I
0: can edit it down afterwards, you know,
1: (laughs) you might have to, (laughs) but uh, the podcast is poker on the mind. And I do that with Gareth Gazelle James and we answer questions on our show. So I tackle the mindset mostly because I also dip my, um, toes in the water on some of the strategy strategy stuff. And he does strategy. He's a great MTT. And you talk about a math guy. He's really into math stuff. So that's kind of a great thing. He can really explain how it all works and whatnot. So I really enjoy that. And then I've got a couple of books. I've got Peak Poker Performance. I've got Positive Poker. I have a chapter in Excelling at No Limit Hold'em, which was Jonathan Little's big book that pretty much Mm -hmm. everybody who's anybody in the poker world contributed a chapter to that? Oh, you can find me at drtrishacardner.com. Best of all, you can come to peakpokermindset.com. I have a free course over there called Rev Up Your Poker Success. And, you know, you'd be crazy not to take it at that
0: great price, right? <laughs> right. So I don't know. to. A, <laughs> a little spendy. Is it a single webinar? Is it a series of courses? What is that?
1: Um, it's a course where, but I broke the lessons. They're really short lessons and it's all about how to do your goal setting. Basically. I mean, everybody knows like you're supposed to set goals, but most people set them in a way that is not going to get them a good result. And so I break it down and talk about the things that you need to do to set your goals in such a way that you can actually achieve them.
0: Oh, that's awesome. And it's at Mm peakpokermindset.com. That's correct.
1: And you can follow me on Twitter uh, uh, at Dr. Trisha Cardner. You can uh, come to my Facebook group. I do have a private Facebook group and that's Poker Mindset Mastery Lab. Ooh. And I think we have about 400 members in there right now and it's troll free. So that's very nice Nice. and yeah, and people ask questions and I answer them, which is very nice and (laughs) they also help each other out. And so that's very nice. And yeah, it's just a good community. And we also, Gareth has his uh, Facebook group too, the MTT. What is his, I, I might butcher his, But he's got one too,
0: or something, something something
1: like that. Sorry, Gareth. Um, (laughs) But if people want to know what it is, they can contact me. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because our two groups have some overlap with the members. And it's kind of nice because, you know, my side is more the mindset side and his side is more the strategy side, but there's quite a bit of overlap with the members. And I just think that's really nice because it gives, you know, different perspectives.
0: Well, I love the idea. I mean, it's something, you know, we think about poker mindset, we think about poker strategy, but really it does all work together. And I think mm-hmm. that's a much more integrated approach to, you know, having a, a holistic approach at the table.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, you really cannot underestimate the strategy side of the game. You can have all the psychology in the world. You can, you know, I don't know. You can think you know the, the right
0: story. mindset, but if you don't know what you're doing, you're going to get destroyed.
1: Right. I mean, you know, everybody says, Oh, Daniel Negrano, you know, he's a soul reader. Uh, yeah. You know why? Because he's really good at the strategy of the game and he's been playing forever and a day. That's why. Right.
0: Right. <laughs> well, well, it's, that's awesome. I mean, a lot of great stuff. I, I would encourage everybody to go check that stuff out. Uh, I'll put the links out on the, in the show notes, all of that good stuff. And um, but as we kind of wrap up here, you know, what, if you were to think about what, what is that one piece of advice that you've given I know you've given so much advice over the years to many different people, but is is there some advice that people kind of keep coming back to you and saying, you know, that really helped me, that really transformed my game or my mindset? What is that one, you know, nugget of, nugget of uh, truth that you've given that really resonated with people?
1: Wow, that is a really tough one to answer. Because like you said, I've answered so many questions and given so much advice. But I think what you need to do is you first just need to decide what is it about this game that appeals to you? You know, what is it that you want to achieve with this game? I would say get really clear on that and your purpose before you try to do anything because clarity comes from action. So you get clear on what you want out of this game and then you start taking action and take action every single day. And that action can be, know setting up a study schedule it can be going to the gym because you really do need a level of physical fitness it can be working on your nutrition because you need that all these things work together for for peak performance in any field whether it's poker or computers you know doesn't matter so think about what you want how far you want to go with this game and then get into action every single day to make that dream come true
0: great words from dr Trisha cardner anything else I mean, I can think of a thousand things after <laughs> right. we get
1: off of this call.
0: <laughs> yeah, I got to let you go, but thanks so much again for joining us, and look forward to to more contributions, and hopefully we can connect in Vegas, and and uh, maybe we'll we'll do a heavy on again to to go to the next level of of uh, getting our mindset right.
1: That'd be awesome. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yep. Thanks, Trisha. Well, that's it for this episode number eighty three. Special thanks to Dr. Trisha Cardner for being our guest today, and also thanks to Running Aces for your continued support and encouragement along the way as we continue to to grow in our game and become better players, and in this case, uh, get our minds right to be able to achieve peak performance. As I mentioned, I'll be returning from Vegas next week and hopefully have a lot of uh, great stories for y'all, but in the meantime, hope you have a great week on and off the felt. Uh, Good luck out there. Take care.